0: following is a special presentation of transformation radio pastor wes thompson of the refuge church in grove city recorded live in front of phase one and phase two men of the refuge ministry during encounter weekend july 19th through the 21st 2013 and now here is pastor thompson well i'm wes
1: it's good to be here good to see you guys uh I'm, seriously, I'm excited to be here. I got here last night. I don't get to come out very often, but uh, just to be able to get away, live in Columbus, it's very quiet, and uh, I enjoy that. It's good to just be able to relax and hang out. So, um, talked to Brad, and and he, he asked if I could just do a, a talk this evening. So, I uh, I just figured I'd chat chat with you guys about something that's been really uh, I don't know. It's been rattling around in my brain. It's been I've been thinking about it a lot. It's been convicted me. And so it's going to be more of just kind of a lecture, but it's, uh, it's basically I'm going to talk to you guys about biblical manhood and just what does it mean to be a man. And I think that that's, it's something that's being deconstructed in our culture. It's something that's even been questioned in the church, and uh, it's alarming to me. And so I'm just trying to figure out what that, what that looks like from a biblical perspective and how we respond. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. All right. Jesus, you're good, and we're not, and we need your grace, and I just pray that you'd be with us. Um, I pray that, you know, we all come here as, as men, um, equal before God, just in need of you. You're the one that we're looking to. You're the one we want to glorify, and I am in much need of you, Jesus. So God, my prayer is this wouldn't just be a, a boring talk to just sit here before these guys and uh, just hear me rattle off information we want to be transformed by your gospel and we want to know how we can apply it to our lives and so i pray that you would uh speak through me and that you'd speak through your word and that wherever these guys are at some of them i'm i'm getting to know some of them i don't really know and i just pray that wherever they're at tonight today that that you'd speak to their hearts god really what i want to do is just encourage them in their walk encourage them in their future and uh just let the Scriptures talk. And so uh, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to start there. I'm going to read a set of Scriptures. We're going to start right in Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. And uh, what that reads is, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and all creep, creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, sorry, it's gonna be I'm used to like walking around, so I'm gonna try to stay right here. But basically, this this is a summary statement of of the creation of both men and women. This is where we see God creating us, and that and that gives us an indicator of where we start. That's why we're starting there. The The key word here is image. And that and that five letter word is jam packed with fundamental theological truth that gives us insight not only into God's original intent, into our creation. But also his ongoing purpose for us in the world. So man was meant to function, if you will, like a mirror. Something to reflect God's image and God's glory to the world. Humanity made in the image of God was created to be an earthly representation of who God is. So unlike anything else in the creation, it says that man and woman was created in the very image of God and that God said it was good. So we'll pick it up now in verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breadth of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Fast forward to 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So immediately upon creating man... In Genesis 2, God puts man to work. God puts us to work. Stewarding and ruling in the world that is God's own creation. So we throw around, I'm sure that you've been here for a while, you've heard the word steward. All that means is that we're managing someone else's stuff. And so it's God's, and we're to steward it. Everything is God's. That's basic, just, just biblical theology is everything's God's, and that, that we're to steward his creation. Man is given responsibility to cultivate the garden. And man is called to name the animals. So right away, God's putting us to work. And, and really, God made all of this. He made it. He made male. He made female. Distinct gender roles as the crowning jewel of His creation. Not merely with the will of His word, but also with the loving kindness with His hands He made us. And so, what we see here is God created men and women equal but distinct, equal but different, equal but with different roles, if that makes sense. Men were created to cultivate, to be a cultivator. So God creates the earth, and it's wild and untamed. But he puts Eden right in the middle. Eden's already put together. Eden's already cultivated. It's a beautiful place. And he puts Adam in the middle of the garden, the middle of Eden, and he tells him to make the, he tells him to make the rest of the world look like this. It's going to be a lot of work, and it's going to take a long time. Cultivate the, the world. You're my image bearer. This is what I've given you, this beauty. Take it, cultivate it, work on it. So what do I, what do I mean by cultivator? It's that God puts something in us that makes us want to create things. That makes us want to pursue things. That makes us want to build things. That makes us want to own things. And he cre- and after he creates it, he wants to cultivate and nurture it. He puts a nurturing thing in us. We want, it, we want it to grow. We want it to get better. So some examples of that. Dudes that go to the gym, right? They go to the gym. They want to get buff. They want to cultivate their bodies. And so they start spending crazy money on creatine and supplements and all these sorts of things in, 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 the, in the goal of trying to cultivate your body. Similarly, you know, people will work, men will work long hours in hopes and desire to have a faster car, a bigger house, um, better technology. And so it's cultivating, it's, it's taking dominion over his work. Businesses, working long and hard at your business so that you can gain status and financial security. Um, men are supposed to cultivate their wives with love and nurture, uh, with encourage. Um, they're supposed to build them up. This is all just straight out of the Bible. Also, we're called to cultivate uh, our children and impart wisdom and discipline and direction and, and just see them progress. And so, so really what this cultivation looks like is in every aspect of life, there's just this innate desire within us to pour into work, to pour into home, to pour into family, to pour into our, into our physical bodies. We need something to do. We need something to build. If we don't have that, then that's where we get in trouble. We get confused. And the problem is, if a man isn't submitting to Christ, he cultivates the wrong thing. He pursues the wrong thing with which to put his time, his efforts, his energies into. So let's look at Genesis 3, 17-19. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground before you. This is significant. God doesn't just curse the man, but he curses the ground underneath him. This means that all of what we're supposed to have dominion over fights against us. That's why as we were talking earlier, you know, it's like the day was rough. It felt like everything was against us. It's because in sin and in the fall, our work fights against us. Why would God do this? Because as a a result of sin, I believe God did this to, to, to reveal himself to us. Because he loves us. When everything fights against us, it teaches us, it teaches us our dependence on God. It, it brings us to our knees, it brings us to humility in the sense that we, we cannot do it on our own. In ruling, man would serve as God's ambassadors to the earth, but because of our sin, that's that's what that's what spurred and began all of the junk that we see in the world in which we live. That's why some days you just wake up and you're just pissed off. And some days, the same day, you could wake up and you're as happy as could be. It's because of sin. It's because of the fall. But we need to be careful here that we don't miss one of the chief components of being God's image bearer. As an image bearer, what we're called to do from the beginning was to subdue, was to take care of and work, and was to rule. Now, also, it was to have a relationship. Having a relationship with God was being made in His image. It, it, it really That's really the heart and the hope and really the meaning behind all of it is that, is that God wanted to know us. There's a beautiful component of, of God wasn't deficient in any way. God didn't create us because He needed anything. He created us simply because He chose to and simply so that He could, he could share His goodness With his creation. Without relationship, none of the other aspects of being an image bearer would would matter. Think about this if a father relates to his children only based on the chores that they're supposed to do, that child would grow up with a warped sense of love, accomplishment, and self worth. It would just be based on what they do, it wouldn't be based on the fact that the father just loves their child. Similarly, our relationship with God was intended to be much more than just some stale, deistic relationship. Where he creates everything and then just leaves it for us. You know, like an absentee landlord. I made it, you can live here, but I'm gone. That's not what the Bible talks about in regards to God. The point is that relationship is the most compelling factor driving what it means to be made in the image of God. But because of sin and human error, man has not imaged God well. Man has not imaged God well. So, so far, what I've just tried to do is from the beginning of the Bible, right from the beginning, just set up how we were made, what that means for us, and then where sin came in. But the big idea here is that what we're seeing is because of sin, manhood is in crisis. And it has been. But more so now than in a long time. There was much more wrapped up in that piece of fruit in the garden than just a bad decision. Okay, With sin, there there always is. We talk ourselves into thinking that sin is just a bad choice, but it's not. It's much deeper than that for us, just as it was much deeper for Adam. When Adam chose willful rebellion against the law of God, he was choosing to forfeit his birthright by rejecting his calling. His calling to represent, to be responsible, and enjoy his relationship with God, his wife, and the rest of creation. Adam's sin set in motion the initial and progressive fall of creation in its order. And these effects, these effects still ravage the world today. Much was lost. Peace, harmony, joy, order. These were put aside for a temporary pleasure, for a temporary moment of satisfaction. Did Adam know the full implications of his decision? Probably not. But sin is like that. It blinds us to the consequences of our actions. We get so nearsighted when we see something we want to experience that everything else fades away. Adam chose to set aside his representation to God, his responsibility to God, his relationship to God, lost because of the price of his sins. Instead of responsibility, representation, and re- relationship, things like chauvinism and violence and passivity and insecurity and addiction would characterize generation after generation of men. One of the saddest statements about the state of man is found in Genesis 6, 5 5- and 5 and 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's awful. That's awful. Man, the centerpiece of God's creative activity, his very representative. Man, You know, meant to be the apex of of projecting his glory on the earth. Man was so grievous to God that God was sorry that he ever made us. Responsibility and representation had fallen to selfish motives and personal gain. We started using the power that God gave us to rule as a way to dominate and corrupt what God once called good. So fast forward to now. Not much has changed. Things are getting worse, not better. In our cities, men are becoming more and more inventive in their acts of crime and violence. If Hollywood is a current you know, cultural barometer, which it often is, we can see example after example of our capacity for evil. Our separation from God is so embedded that the dysfunction has become the new normal. From music videos to the multi-billion dollar porn industry, you see anywhere and everywhere the effects of the disaster, of, of the fall. The effects of it are everywhere. And as a result of the fall, sin has become universal. Except for Christ, no person has ever lived on this earth that's been free from sin. And that's been free from the effects of it. Because the scope of the fall is so great the solution to the fall must be equally great or even greater. See, solutions like self-help and community programming and, and training groups, they all have their place, but, but it's, not, it's not the foundation. These can only help us and treat the symptoms. They don't treat the central piece of what we need help with. We need something deeper. We need a rescue. We need to be born again. We can't, we can't fix ourselves. The righteousness within us isn't isn't enough righteousness to save us. Widespread though, men are complacent, apathetic, settled into mediocrity, and are unengaged in the world around them. As men, we must not let ourselves become lethargic in our vigilance against these things that would attempt to destroy manhood. Friends, I mean this, and it's it's convicting. Manhood is under attack. The sooner we realize it's happening, the sooner we can fight back. One of the most dangerous and prominent fallen tendencies in our culture when it comes to manhood is, is the deprivation of fathers. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Never before in this country have so many children been voluntarily abandoned by their dad. Never before have so many children grown up without knowing what it means to have a father. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It's the leading cause of the declining child well-being in our society. It's also the engine driving most of our urgent social problems, from crime to adolescent pregnancy to child sexual abuse to domestic violence against women. Yet despite its scale and social consequences, fatherlessness is a problem that's frequently ignored or denied. Among the more devastating effects on boys because of the lack of fathers is an ongoing sense of identity crisis. Without fathers, young boys have no sense of who they are and who they're called to be as men. It only makes sense that it would be this way given that the boy's earthly father is supposed to establish this clarity of identity early in life. The result is a tremendous loss of self. God was intentional. He didn't mess up. He didn't think twice. He didn't do something and just decided he changed his mind. He was intentional in his original design for how things were supposed to be and how our body and our emotions and our development was supposed to establish. Everything he originally designed to be in our lives was essential. When some key piece of what he designed is missing, man will search for a replacement. Though not all replacements are bad, most of the time we err on the side of our fallenness. Anything we try to use as a replacement for God's original intention is dysfunctional in some way and only causes more ruin. Mankind has always been in the business of giving away the greatness of God for some, st- some standard, some, some other thing. Without the father present, there's no clarifier of identity. There's no spiritual leader. And amongst other things, it assists in this trend that we see in extended adolescence. We're finding now, both through study and mere observation, that childhood is growing longer and longer. Boys are not only failing to become responsible and godly men, they aren't becoming men at all. The problems with this extended childhood are many. I'll just name a few. Compromised maturity. Men have adult bodies, but they remain spiritually infants. Second, fathers who are only friends. Men in extended childhood seek to identify with their children as opposed to raising their children. Their efforts at parenting are like their efforts in high school. To be liked and accepted rather than to influence and guide. Third, substantized pictorial of manhood. When a younger man sees another man living like this, or an older man living like this, the problem is heightened because extended childhood becomes the picture of what a man should be. Unmarried women is another issue. As the pool of men is already slim, it gets even more challenging as they're faced with men who are unfit for marriage. Next, unhirable men. Men in this stage can work at a job that that requires physical maturity but will be incapable of functioning in a professional environment that demands maturity and responsibility. And then lastly, a life lived in fantasy. This might be the most frightening of all. Man in extended childhood treat their lives like one big fantasy world. They engage others through artificial means like pornography, social media, video games, instead of real life. In their fantasy world, everything revolves around them. So they're incapable of contributing to a family, contributing to a church, conf- contributing to a community, because all of those things require sacrifice. Peter Cesaro lays out a basic description of what it looks like to be emotionally healthy and unhealthy one of his striking points is his description of emotional immaturity he calls emotional infants this is how he describes emotional infants looks for others to take care of them has great difficulty entering the world of others are driven by a need for instant instant gratification uses others as subjects to meet their needs And then he goes on even further and he describes what emotional children are. He says are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. Unravel quickly from stress, disappointment, and trials. Interpret disagreements as personal offenses. Are easily easily hurt, complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. And lastly, have a great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. Does this sound familiar to any of us? I'm talking to myself here. Just know that. This is is alarming to me. Most men wouldn't own up to this kind of description, but mere observation validates the findings above. If you just look... So what do we need, men? What do we need, friends? We need Jesus. Jesus is the means by which everything will be restored. The cross makes it a done deal. Through the cross, we can be fully reconciled to God in Christ. And our restoration can therefore become a present reality. The greatness of the cross cannot be overstated. The restoration of Jesus is fully accomplished, but not fully realized yet. It's already, but it's not yet. In this interim time until Jesus comes back, between the season of the ascension and the coming of Jesus, there is work to be done. And Jesus uses us as agents of his reconciliation and restoration. Jesus is the prototype man for us to look to. All of us men are only as manly as it relates to the standard of Christ. Romans 8.29 helps us to understand this point. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. God's design, his divine intent, for those are those that look like Christ. God predestined his people to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. We are to become like Jesus. We have been admitted into the heavenly family. We are brothers in the fact that God calls us us sons, and we can call him Father. This is an incredibly high calling. You start to see yet again the greatness of God's original intent for us. But unfortunately... Especially in the church, more and more men have started to see church as a place just for women. Like it or not, men view the church as irrelevant because much of what what the church is concerned with are things that don't translate with men. And I would say that that falls a lot on the church. And that's something that I would apologize to men for. But Jesus, when we look at Christ, he was was able to engage men at all all levels. He, He dealt with cultural concerns. He dealt with social problems. He dealt with personal issues. He was and is able to engage men on every issue and on every level. Perhaps then men are so unclear about who they are supposed to be because we in the church have failed to give them a true picture of Christ. The church has, in many ways, become a playground for people's pet projects, social clubs, and unbiblical teaching. And cowardly pastors have let these things go on and let what the Bible calls wolves destroy God's sheep and shame God's church. Jesus is what the church and what we should be heralding. Jesus is what we need for our model for manhood. He was unflawed and untouched by the properties of sin. He was, he was still born with all the limitations and all the temptations of man. Jesus and Jesus alone exemplified manhood. If we want to be conformed to His image, most especially as men, we see to understand that we need to see this example more deeply. As the Son of Man, Jesus can relate to any man who has been betrayed to anyone who has been handed over or mistreated. The difference between most men and Jesus is that when such things happened to Jesus, he dealt with the situation with great righteousness and patience. Now see, this isn't a sign of weakness. It was a sign of true strength. Only a man of great strength could courageously take that kind of punishment and not cry out and blame somebody else for being violated. Only a man of true strength can endure the cross and all that it held without casting blame. Jesus as the Son of Man, is not only inspirational, he's epic. Knowing that he got up from the grave after such a savage and brutal martyrdom should make us as men pump our fists and worship to him. He before us is a man who is man enough to drink death and spit out victory. He's fully God, and He's fully man. So if we're looking for an example for manhood, we need to look no further than the cross and the empty tomb. Because Jesus, over and over again, shows us what it means to really be a man. One of the ways we see Jesus living as the prototypical man is His willingness to do something typically very difficult for us, and that's confront sin. The church has in many many ways quit calling sin, sin. Instead, because we fear what people think and we fear socially being out there, we just don't say anything. And that's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't shy away from this type of confrontation. When we talk about facing sin head on, no one has done it like Christ. Think about it. The very fact that Jesus came to the earth is evidence of his willingness to, To stare sin right in the face. He chose to live in a world in which we men had destroyed. He faced fatigue, sweat, hunger, rejection. He faced the self-righteous sin of religious people. He faced the the self-preserving sin of his closest friends who abandoned him. He faced being misunderstood by his family. Mocked by society. Maligned by crowds. And even stolen from by soldiers. That's just a small sampling of the rest of the sin that He took upon His shoulders on the cross. This is manliness at its best. This is courage at its greatest. It's self-sacrifice at its most noble. It's the fight at its most tenacious. And as a result, man is restored, both to potentially be what God originally intended, And also to enjoy fullness of fellowship with God. That was lost when Adam sinned. That's the offer on the table. Jesus Jesus didn't justify or defend his purpose. He didn't defend what he was trying to do on earth. He wasn't trying to convince people. How many times each day as men are we faced with pressure to perform? To justify our identity? To prove ourselves to other people? Jesus didn't give in to that kind of pressure. The greatest temptation that Jesus overcame was the temptation to avoid the cross. He knew the strength of his temptation. That's why he asked the disciples, his community to pray for him. It's a model for us. That's why he went to spend time with his heavenly Father. It's profound to consider that Jesus' greatest temptation wasn't, you know, it wasn't sex or power or ambition. It was centered on the cross. More specifically, it's centered on how, at the cross, at the cross, there would be a temporary change. He would be separated from God for the first time in eternity, and he would bear. It says, "It says that he became sin for us." Men, I pray that our temptations would lose their attractiveness in light of the strain that it brings on our relationship with God. I pray that we would commune with God to the point that the thought of diminishing that communion would cause us the kind of grief Jesus felt in the garden the night before he went to the cross. We've been created in the image of the Most High to bring him glory. Not ourselves. Only when we realize that Can we truly have joy? And can we truly have peace? And I just want to encourage each of you to be involved. I mean, mean, you guys are in in the ministry, but as as you conclude this, to be involved in a community of faith. To be involved in a Bible-preaching church. To get involved in Christian community, so that when you're struggling, when you have a rough day, when you're going through life like we all do, That you'll have people to walk with and people to do life with. I know this isn't a feel-good sermon, but I'm just not that kind of person. I think that life's pretty crappy a lot of the time. And that's because of our sin. See, the person that's hurt you and messed you up the most and the person that's messed me up the most isn't somebody else. It's me. The person that's ruined your life more than anybody else is you. In order for us to ever be what God called us to be in the Bible is for us to get around Christian community, us to look in the scriptures, and for us to follow Christ's example of true manhood. This isn't games anymore. There's people that need this, and our culture is dying. And it's ridiculous. When you look around at men that are apathetic, they don't care, they're not stepping up to take responsibility over their family, over their friends, the people that are around, they're just lethargic, and they're just existing. It's sick. And so I say all that to say, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity in Christ to be countercultural and to stand up and empower people to do something. This isn't a, this didn't have to be a weird churchy feministic thing. This can be Jesus was the most manly man there was. And I'm encouraging you tonight to follow in his footsteps. And those of you that aren't going to church anywhere or don't have a church home, whenever you whenever you're you're done going through the ministry, I just I would encourage you to come to the to the Refuge Church. Okay, this isn't it's a shameless plug. All right, I'm helping I'm helping do that. It's an invita- invitation. I'm ex- I'm excited what God's doing through through this, what, what God's showing us, and where we're going. You know, I I, I think we have an excellent opportunity. To serve men. Because if you haven't noticed, it's an epidemic. And it's only getting worse. And by God's grace, he can use us to lead others towards the hope that we've been given. Amen? Amen. So tonight, you know, I mean, as we conclude, I just think it'd be good for for this weekend as you're you're here. I guess most of you are, are visiting here from either the third phase or the first phase. Some of you guys are here in the second phase, but that you just reflect on on your lives, the conditions of your hearts as you're going through this season that's challenging. Just know that it's not going to get easier. (laughs) I'm there with you. I mean it. This life is hard. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. But all of us need to step up to the plate of being part of God, restoring things to Himself. That's what we're called to do. That's why I talked about how he called us image bearers and cultivating, because what he wants us to do is work towards the restoration of humanity. Making what's broken better for the glory of God. And taking back what the devil has stolen in regards to biblical manhood. Because everything around us is trying to steal that. The breakdown of the family. It's everywhere. And we've all made mistakes. I am no better than you. But, but you know what? We can't look back. We have to look forward. And from this day forward, we can make a difference in those that we're around. And just the choices that we make. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to carry around a Bible and hit people upside the head with it. If you just live your life as a responsible man, and, you, and like when you say you're going to do something, you do it, and you, and, you, and you live like Jesus, that's enough. That's pretty freaking weird nowadays. It'll change people. And I'm telling you, that's the only way that you will have joy. That's the only way you will have peace. Because as image bearers, we were made to glorify God. And when we are not bringing God glory, we are worshiping something else. It's not a matter of if you're a worshiper. It's what you're worshiping. There is something that drives you. And if it's not Jesus, you will be left broken and you will be wanting more. And there will be something else. And that's just a fact. It's time to quit giving in to the desires of our flesh. It's time to quit settling for mediocrity and conformity. It's time to quit letting culture determine what it means to be a man instead of the Bible. It's time for the church to step up. It's time for us all to see that we're we're meant and we're called to be a part of the mission of God, which is to make disciples of Christ and herald the good news of Jesus to those that are in front of us. This is a call to spiritual arms. And I really believe that there needs to be, there needs to be a resurgence of men of God that step up in culture. And that, and, I mean, if a man gets saved, 90% of the time his household gets saved. There is a correlation to where God calls men to take dominion over, over territory. And, and if you see it culturally, worldwide, I think I've, I've pled my case But the apathy of men has ruined, in many ways, our culture. This matters to Jesus, and it should matter to us. This is something worth giving our lives to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I I thank you for your word. God, I'm so in need of you. I can do nothing apart from you. And I need community. I need friends that are passionate about the Lord because I know that by myself, on my own, I am one decision away from ruining my life. And so God, I pray for myself, but I also pray for my brothers in this room that you would do a work in our hearts. That you convict us of our sins. A great theologian said that Christianity quits being Christianity when we quit confessing and repenting our sins. We haven't arrived yet, and until we're dead, we're not going to have. So God, I pray that you'd put a passion and a fire in each one of these men to pursue you, to pursue truth. This isn't a happy-go-lucky, nice, feel-friendly, let's-all-whatever kind of church thing. No, you call us to war. I pray that you'd open our eyes to the condition of our culture. And that you're calling us men to rise up. And take dominion for the name of Jesus and for the glory of the Father. So God, I pray that you'd encourage these guys. If they have wounds from their past, I pray that you would, you'd you take them through seasons of healing. God, on behalf of... Uh, I know I'm young, but God, I'm just, on behalf of their... Some of these men have, have lived through the pains of, of daddy deprivation. And I just, on behalf of their dads... I just pray that we just sorry. And I pray that you begin to do a healing work in their hearts that only you can do. Because that sucks. And I pray, God, that they see you as the dad. And you as the father. And you as the one that they need more than anything else. And I don't want to oversimplify that. And I don't want to make that something that's not that. That's something that only you can, you can change. I pray against shame and guilt from past decisions to where we've all failed in this in some way, myself included. But that, God, we would would accept your forgiveness. Because if we can't forgive ourselves, what we're saying is is our God isn't good enough to do that. And you say that when we invite you into our hearts, you say that when we accept you by faith, that we are justified. And what is justification? Justification is that you call us not guilty. Guilty. And so I pray that these men would walk in freedom, knowing that you're God and that you love them if they've chosen by faith to accept you, and that we would quit looking back, but that we would look forward as to where we're going. And that we'd get out of ourselves and realize that, my goodness, there's a lot of work to be done. Because people are jacked up and you left the church, and you left your people to do your work. And so I pray that we'd rise up to do that. So we love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Amen.
0: You have been listening to Pastor Wes Thompson of The Refuge Church, recorded live and unedited at the Vinton County Farm during Encounter Weekend, July 19th, through the 21st. Pastor Thompson presented his message to the men of the Refuge Ministry Phase 1 and Phase 2. Remember, every Sunday at the Hyman House in Grove City you can hear Pastor Wes Thompson, and after the services, if you're hungry, stay around, and for a nominal fee, you can have a great buffet presented by Nelson's Fundraising and Catering. This has been a special presentation of Transformation Radio. Thank you for listening.